scattered darkness, light arrives and heaven opens. Holy Spirit, let us hear it. When you speak, the church awakens. Standing next to me 
line of that song's got me thinking about those battles that we face in life, the fires that we walk through, the seas that we need parted, and how that gets confusing sometimes, right? And sometimes the Lord in his kindness gives us glimpses of the underneath of that tapestry, right? Where we can see the things woven together and maybe we get glimpses of that why. Sometimes we don't. But isn't it so nice when we do? When we can look back and, and see why those hardships happened. This, this passage is hard because of that reason, but I'm gonna read it anyway, because I think it's important. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And church, I just want to be a people that seek the Lord together that we can be in this, in this stillness right here. Maybe there's chaos everywhere else, but our God is not a God of chaos. Amen. He wants to bring peace to your life and storm. And sometimes that's just internal peace, right? But it's what he gives and we trust him for that. And I just encourage you as, as we sing this song and as we pray this difficult prayer of spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Maybe we pray, Lord, what are those borders that I've put up in my own heart of where I've maybe said to you, no, let's stay here in this, in this safe zone. Let's not, let's not go over that border. Maybe the Lord wants to speak to you today about removing that and being able to walk. Remember the anchor we talked about a few weeks ago? Maybe it's, maybe it's the deep waters that he's calling us into that might be filled with that weakness and insults and difficulties and trials, but that he's gonna say to us, my power is made perfect in your weakness and it's all for the glory of God. Find you in the 
living God. In your tender love for the human race, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon him our nature and to suffer death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and also share in his resurrection through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Forty-eight days, 22 hours, and 25 minutes from now, 24 minutes from now, I'll be flying to Florida. Um, not, not, not that I'm counting down the hours or the day or I'm anxious for it or anything, but, but, but Terry and I will be going to the beach, and I got to tell you, I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait to get into the sand, into the ocean. Uh, you know, there's, there's two things I love. I, I love the ocean, and I love mountains. And of course, that's why I live in Marysville, Ohio. Uh, my love of the ocean and the mountains. You know, my, my fantasy good life is either as a beach bum or hiking mountain trails. I, you know, I, in, in my imagination, that, that's kind of my fantasy life, this be, just living on a beach or just hiking through the mountains. A, at the beach, I'll sit with my toes in the sand. I'll have walks and runs on the beach. I'll do some wave surfing, you know, riding those waves. And let me tell you, the one or two I, I catch every week, I'm not stopping. And so if you're in front of me and you're young or you're elderly or you're infirm, it really doesn't matter. You're going to ride that wave with me, okay? Because I just love the ocean. I love the mountains. Maybe, maybe when I'm 80, <laughs> that's where I'll end up, at an ocean or a mountain. But I want to start today with a big question. What makes for a good life? If you were to answer that question, what, what makes life good? What, what's the most important, what's the big rocks to make life good? Family and friends? Family and friends are good. Experiences? You know, hiking trails, going to the ocean, going on vacations. Purpose? Ha having a reason for, for living? Position, power, reputation, money. You know, all these are things that, that people will, will sometimes say is necessary for us to have a good life. You know, you, you need relationships. You need, you, need, you need a good position. You need an education. You need, you, you need this. You need that. And, and maybe as I've went through those, those are things that, you know, you think, if, if I really need this for life to be good. Jesus defines good life. When we look at Jesus, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus defines, he is the very definition of what it means to live a good life. And so in Lent, we follow the example of Jesus. And, and for 40 days, he's, he's in the wilderness. And, and then we also follow his journey to the cross, that, that Jesus' journey to a good life included a cross. And, and this, this journey to the cross was not an aberration, but it was just the way Jesus lived. You know, the way Jesus lived was just a lifelong journey towards the cross. As we go through Lent, we, we, we're following Jesus, and, and Lent is about subtracting things from our life. But, but the point of subtraction is not just subtraction, but, but finding better things, letting go of lesser things so that we can grab hold of better things. It's unplugging so we don't blow a fuse or we don't break a circuit. Lent is an invitation not to less life, but Lent is an invitation to the good life real life, to let go of lesser things and find something more. And we've been using the Lord's Prayer as a guide, our guide, for this Lenten season. And, and the Lord's Prayer 
does not just simply express a way of prayer. That, that when Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer, he's just not giving us words to say, but Jesus is giving us a way of life. It's a template for our life. And so the Lord's Prayer expresses a way of life. And so as we read through this, I, I think it's important to understand or important to maybe consider, does my life match up with this prayer? So let's read this together one more time. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As you read through that, does your life match up to the words of this prayer? And as we've went through this, we've talked about several things over the course of this series. We've talked about how the prayer is simple and Jesus invites us to this, this simple way of living. And we, the first invitation was letting go of needless complexity and grabbing hold of simplicity. That, that it's in our, our, the, the needless complexity of our life that relationship with God, relationship with others suffer. We talked about letting go of fractured relationships and grabbing hold of relational wholeness, that, that Jesus is calling us to this place where our relations with one another and our relationship with God is whole. We talked about letting go of self-reliance and grabbing hold of God-reliance. And then last week, we, we talked about this. God invites us to move from Christian head knowledge only to following Jesus as a way of life. Once again, that phrase, a way of life a way of living, a way of interacting with our family, a way of interacting in our church and our community. And so the prayer is an invitation to God's way of living. Um, let me ask it this way. What if the object of life was not to get my way, but to find myself in God's way? But what if that was the sole purpose of life? That, that the best, that the most important question you could ask was, well, not what do I want, but what does God want? See, Jesus understood this. For, from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus understood that the purpose of his life was to find himself in God's way. And so he not only taught the Lord's Prayer, but he lived the Lord's Prayer. From the beginning of his ministry till his death on the cross and through his resurrection, Jesus lived this life of submission to the will of the Father from the beginning to the end. In Matthew 4, Jesus is led to the wilderness. And he's tempted and he's hungry and he's tempted with food and he's tempted with power and he's tempted with the easy way. And Jesus says, I'm called to worship the Lord my God and to serve him only. That, that the whole purpose of my life is to serve God, not to have an easy way, not to be fed, but I'm here to serve God. This is Passion Week. Of course, this is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and, 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 and this is the week before the cross. And I love the scripture in Luke 9, 51, and and this is a long time before Palm Sunday. And Jesus is out in, in Judea and towards Samaria. And he's not near the, the powers to be. He's not near Jerusalem. And he's pretty safe there. You know, Jerusalem is where he's going to be crucified. And Jerusalem is where he faces the most risk. And, and yet when he's out in these outskirts of, of Israel, he's probably safer. And, and the scripture says Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. And this is one of those verses that I love the King James Version of this verse. The King James Version says, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And that's the literal translation, that Jesus put his face, he started going toward Jerusalem, and he was set. His gaze was fixed. Why? Jesus was here to do the will of the one who sent him. He was here to fulfill the Father's plan. 
So Jesus goes back to Jerusalem where the cross is waiting. And, and Jesus enters into Jerusalem and all the crowds are cheering him on and they're patting him on the back and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's make him king. And Jesus walks into Jerusalem and instead of attacking the powers that were there, the Romans, Jesus turns into the temple and attacks their religious way of life, alienating many of those who would have supported him if he had attacked the powers that be. Jesus was not there for the esteem. He was not there to get his way. He was not there to get the people's approval. Jesus was in Jerusalem to accomplish the will of the Father. So Jesus is in the garden, and he goes to the garden with with his disciples. And there's something very, and I think there's a sermon in here somewhere. (laughs) Jesus goes to the wilderness the first time alone. Jesus goes to the garden with community. He goes into the garden with his disciples and he asks them to pray with him. In his most serious time of conflict and doubt and temptation, Jesus calls these guys that are his closest friends to be with him. It's as Jesus believes that he's better together, (laughs) that he needs other people. And I think the example for us is, folks, there's some things maybe we can carry alone, but the most serious things in life you're not meant to carry alone. And even Jesus brought other people around him as he wrestled with the cross. And in the garden, it's not easy. You know, Jesus is really wrestling with the will of the Father. If you want to see the humanity of Jesus, if you want to see really fully human Jesus, see Jesus in the garden saying, is there another way? Is there some other way we can accomplish your will, Father? But... Not my will, but your will. Not my way, but your way. And Jesus goes to the cross. He suffers and he dies. We know the end of the story, God raises him to life, and and we have hope in the cross, and we have hope in the resurrection. But, but, But the purpose of life for Jesus was found in the will of the Father. I'm not here to do my own thing, but I'm here to do what my Father wants. We did a baptism earlier and going to do baby dedications in the next service. These are meant to embody something. That, that when you were baptized... You were saying, I am am surrendering my will. I am being buried with Christ, and I'm going to raise to life with Jesus. It's significant, and it's why we celebrate, because you've done something that shows what God has done in your life, and we're celebrating with you. Buried with Christ, raised to new life, baby dedications, and my understanding and my belief are significant It's not the baby that's dedicating themselves, but it's their parents that are saying, hey, we want this child to early know and find the will of God. And to that end, we're going to dedicate ourselves. We're going to immerse ourselves. The most important thing is that this child find the will of the Father. That the good life is not in them achieving things and getting pats on the back and getting esteem and making money. But life is found in the will of the Father. And more than anything else, we're going to stand in front of a congregation of people and say, we want that to happen. What if that became our priority? Not not public approval. Not not money. not, Not experiences. Not power. Not position. What if it trumped everything else? The will of the Father. In your life, with the things you're wrestling with, in my life, in the things I'm wrestling with, what what, what if one single question 
trumped everything else, took priority over everything else, and every decision I made was colored by this ideal of what is God's will? God, what do you want me to do in this circumstances? You know, this series, I've used a phrase um, a lot. And the phrase has been, these things are not what God wants from me. It's what God wants for me. And I guess, you know, I've heard that phrase with relation to giving for a long time. But for some reason, that phrase is really moving my spiritual walk. And that oftentimes I've seen the things that God calls me to do as what he wants from me, but it's what he wants for me. That, that this, this allegiance, this, this submission to the will of the Father is not what God wants from me. It's what God wants for me. Well, we've talked about letting go of lesser things and grabbing hold of better things. That, and, 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 we, and we'll say amen, and we, and we believe that's true. And, and it is true that when God calls us to give up our life and grab hold of His will, we're not losing our life, we're finding our life. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus. What, what good is it to gain your own, the whole world and yet lose your own life? That, that Jesus recognized even in His time, there was people that were striving after things that weren't eternal, that weren't real. They were fake. And in our world, folks, if we can't acknowledge that there's a lot of false things that we hold on to, and God offers life. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, that when he's talking about truth, Jesus is talking about what's real. Not just talking about knowing the right answers, but Jesus is saying, I'm the real deal. This is what God is offering. God is offering what's real. And it's found in His will. So what if living in God's will was not about giving up my life, but truly finding my life? You know, the Bible story, biblical story, revolves around gardens. <laughs> Sue Timmons isn't in here, but Sue will be happy because it all revolves around gardens. It begins in a garden with Adam and Eve. It ends in a garden. And Jesus' most important decision is in a garden. We have Adam and Eve in a garden, and what do they say? We want to be like God. What are they saying? They're saying, I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. I want to determine what's right and what's wrong. I want to do it my way. And there's a fall. And the new Adam, Jesus, leads us back. Not to forced allegiance, but to real life. I'm going to close with a longer piece of scripture. And this is the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to the church in Rome. It's Romans chapter 8. You can follow along in your... Bible. We're, we're not going to put it up on the screen. This is a, it's a, long, a lot of scripture. I don't think I've ever read this much scripture, but just, just, just listen to what Paul's saying. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the, in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh 
cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of God, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And as the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in ye, you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share His glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in order that the creation itself will be liberated from the, its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we have hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We, don't know what we ought, do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know... That in all things, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If God who, it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we choose God's way, we are choosing life. When we are choosing to live according to our own will, we're choosing death. 
Yeah, I didn't know how to close this morning. Um, can we bring lights down, Ryan? We've got five minutes before 10. And I just think this is good wrestling time. Maybe you're in the garden today. Maybe you're, you're struggling. Is there another way? Maybe God's revealed a direction and, and, and you know which way you need to go and you just can't let go. You know, the only way to the resurrection is through the cross. It's the only way. There's some of you that may be just wrestling with giving God everything. And um, you're holding things back. And, and, and you know what you're holding back. And yet to find life, you've just got to say, not my way, but your way. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Our altars are always available if you'd like to come. But I just encourage you to spend some time and what are you wrestling with? Lord, I don't know what, um, what individuals may be wrestling with at this moment, but you do. I'm thankful for the promise in the scripture that I just read that um, the Spirit makes intercession for us when we don't even know what to say. Lord, I'd venture to guess in this room there's a, there's a diversity of challenges. There's some that are further along the way. They've said yes a long time ago. And they're, uh, they're walking in the light as they've received it. Lord, I'd venture in this room that there's people that um, are struggling in their walk. There, there's things that they're holding on to. That they have this perception, Lord, that, that somehow by giving you their all, they're going to lose out on life. Lord, I pray that your spirit will continue to draw because it's in you, Lord, that we find life. Lord, um, in this room, there may be some that they're just here. They've, they've, never, even, they've never even sought you. And, and Lord, in this moment, would you speak to them? Would you draw them? Would you invite them? Your word says that relationship with you is not hard. It's as easy as, as accepting and believing that you care, that we need you, that there's failures and sins in our life that need forgiven, and accepting the forgiveness that you give. But Lord, you offer more than forgiveness. You offer transformation. So I pray, Lord, that we'll not be satisfied with just living with our ticket punched to heaven. But Lord, we'll seek to allow you to live fully within us. Lord, I've heard it say, said that, 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 that when we're saved, we have all the Spirit. But the question is, does the Spirit have all of us? Are we sold out to you? Have we given you our all? Jesus shows us what it means to live real life. And it's found not in chasing our own will, but aligning our will with yours, Father. Lord, this isn't easy. Sometimes it's hard. Lord, my walk, sometimes I miss it. And I'm thankful, Lord, that your spirit comes to me and, and continues to guide me and convict me and draw me. Lord, may we be people sold out to you, allowing you to move. Now, Lord, as we come up on Good Friday, cross, and we see this image of what Jesus did, for us, 
in submission to the will of the Father. Lord, may it, may it motivate us, may it draw us to an understanding that in our death to self, we find life to you. So Lord, help us not to settle for something less, not to settle for illusion, not to settle for the false hopes that this world offers, but to claim the life that only you offer. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Um, stand with me if you will. Spence, can we put the Lord's Prayer on one more time? And can we pray this together one more time? You ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And lead for us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God bless. Thank you.